You can think of Brazil's president, Luiz Inácio Lula da Silva, as a major recording artist, who's been away for years, but is now on a seemingly interminable world tour, including all of the biggest festivals. Before even taking office, as president-elect, he was something of a guest of honour at last year's UN Climate Change Conference in Egypt, and then he embarked on his 2023 roadshow. Que o Brasil está de volta with trips to Washington DC, London, Beijing, Paris, Lisbon, Madrid, Tokyo, Brussels, Johannesburg, and many, many more. And this week, the Lula Show rocked up to New York City, giving the opening address at the United Nations General Assembly. I'm Ewan Marshall, Deputy Editor of The Brazilian Report, and this is Explaining Brazil. If you like Explaining Brazil, you should subscribe to The Brazilian Report the journalistic engine behind this podcast. We're an independent organisation funded by our subscribers, and you can help us stay independent and continue to produce award-winning journalism. And if you're already a subscriber, you can go the extra mile and join our Buy Me A Coffee fan page, and in return, you'll get exclusive perks like special newsletters and behind-the-scenes content, as well as a shout-out here in our podcast. And today, I'd like to thank our Buy Me A Coffee members, Andre Novoseltsev, Tom Nolan, Marta Marchines, Pan Ludwig, Leslie Seal, Caroline Hubert, Mark Hillary, John Thomas III, Louise Renz, Erwan Menais, Orlando Black, Steve Knapp, Aaron Berger, James Coney, Kars Vriesvik, Alistair Townsend, Peter Abramson, Jim Awofadeju, Michael Fryer, Mila Renacido, David Dixon, Jose Ozi Stankovic, Emerging Market Muser, Jarden Eftach, Tonika Thompson, Anderson Da Silva, Kat Kramer, Peter Suffren, Anna Lund, and someone who chose to remain anonymous. And our Buy Me A Coffee members come from all over the world, so please, if we're butchering the pronunciation of your name, do send us an email. And if you too believe in the importance of independent journalism, and if you want to hear your name on our podcast, go to buymeacoffee.com slash Brazilian Report and subscribe to one of the membership levels. Click on buymeacoffee.com slash Brazilian Report to learn more. To break down Lula's speech at the UN General Assembly and to explore the significance of his latest appearance on the global stage, I'd like to welcome back Sede Silva, Brazilian correspondent for the Brazilian Report. Hi, Sede. Hi, Ewan. Thank you for having me. So, Sede, we cover the UN General Assembly every year, be that on the Explaining Brazil podcast or on the Brazilian Report website. But for the benefit of any new listeners, could you explain what exactly is the UN General Assembly and why is it that Brazil always gets to speak first? Well, the UN General Assembly is the only United Nations body uh, in which all member states participate. For every other body in the United Nations, uh, you have a limited number of spots where countries get to vote or to appoint candidates to participate. Uh, and the UN General Assembly is the the main uh, hall, so to speak, of the United Nations. It would be the equivalent of the cafeteria in an elementary school. Uh, you, you, got, you got the different classrooms. Uh, you do not get to participate uh, in all the classrooms, but there's this large cafeteria where everyone participates. Uh, there are different narratives about why Brazil gets to speak first, uh, but one of the things is um, originally... 
uh, since the UN was founded just um, as World War II was ending and the Cold War was beginning, uh, some countries, especially the big powers, uh, they would not like to speak first uh, because they wanted on the general debate uh, to reply to someone who has already spoken first. And Brazil volunteered uh, to speak first and uh, the tradition stuck. It is also my understanding that on the um, on the sidelines of the United Nations, there are some countries that are not satisfied with that tradition. Uh, but Brazilian diplomacy has been uh, fighting over the last four year, or over the last uh, few years uh, to keep that tradition and keep uh, the Brazilian representative to speak first. I would like to add one thing: is that um, a lot of people say that the Brazilian president is the one that speaks first, but that's not really true. Uh, it's the Brazil's representative that always speak first, whoever that representative is. And Brazil only started sending its president to speak at the UN in New York uh, in the 80s. And President José Sarney was the first to address the UN General Assembly. But before Brazil even sent its presidents to speak uh, in New York, uh, you had a Brazilian diplomat uh, or Brazilian representative uh, speaking first at the general debate. Thanks for that explanation, Sede. So, I mean, we're recording this on Tuesday afternoon and Brazilian President Luiz Inácio Lula da Silva has just finished his speech. Give us the headlines. What did he talk about? The main topic of Lula's speech at the UN General Assembly was inequality. Um, Lula is using his foreign policy platform to address inequality both uh, within countries and um, among uh, developed and developing uh, countries. Uh, Lula spoke a lot about uh, poverty and the so-called 2030 agenda. Uh, in U.S. jargon, they're usually referred to as the SDGs, the Sustainable Development Goals, which were agreed uh, in 2015 at the end of the period of the so-called Millennium Development Goals, the MDGs. Um, the agenda for which was from 2000 to 2015. And so in 2015, with the end of the, the, the date, with the end of the deadline for the Millennium Development Goals, uh, UN member countries, they agreed on the so-called SDGs, the Sustainable Development Goals, which are also known as the 2030 Agenda or the Agenda 2030. Uh, there are 17 different goals uh, concerning uh, poverty, equality, justice, access to technology, health, and so on. And this is the moment, even when we are halfway through, because uh, we are halfway through between uh, 2015 and 2030, and Lula commented on the fact that uh, little progress has been made. Uh, he also commented on inequality, on common talking points in foreign policy, uh, which we Lula are very predictable. So he talked about the need to reform global governance, the need to reform the World Bank and the IMF, which have favored European and developed countries. He has talked about how the world has forgotten about the Doha development round at the WTO and how the BRICS are the answer of developing countries uh, to the lack of progress on multilateral institutions. And uh, in Lula's understanding, the lack of uh, development in multilateral uh, trade and governance and economic institutions has led to unemployment, has led to the precarity of work, and this has uh, given rise to far-right adventurers, this is what Lula said, far-right adventurers uh, who want to replace neoliberalism 
uh, with nationalism. And, and this is dangerous in Lula's understanding. So Lula used his speech uh, with a lot of left-wing talking points. He talked about how Brazil defends Cuba, how Brazil is a critic of the U.S. embargo against Cuba and the designation that the United States does uh, with Cuba as a sponsor of terrorism. And he also called uh, for the freedom of Julian Assange, the co-founder of WikiLeaks, who has been uh, in prison in London for several years and the United States wants uh, his extradition. So uh, Lula mentioned uh, with, with inequality as a main point, uh, Lula throwed a lot of jabs at developed countries. He pointed a lot of fingers at the rich countries and he had a lot of uh, common left-wing talking points in his speech. And how important is the General Assembly as a global stage? Because you mentioned Lula's goals to reform global governance and one of his constant goals is to get a seat on the UN Security Council, but only one head of state from the five permanent Security Council members actually showed up in New York this week. And that was Joe Biden, who didn't exactly have to travel very far to get there. Yeah, that is, that is true. Although uh, him being the US president, there are a lot of uh, aircraft, right? Um, he, he leaves the White House, he takes the helicopter, he goes to Andrews Air Force Base, then he goes to Air Force One, he travels to New York, he leaves the plane, he goes in another helicopter, and then he goes to the UN. So uh, it's not very far, but it's a lot of aircraft uh, for the US president to, to go from DC to New York. Uh, it is true that the General Assembly um, has um, lost relevance from the point of view of the heads of government themselves, um, uh, lots, lots of which are not showing up this year. Uh, Rishi Sunak uh, is not going. Emmanuel Macron from France is not going. Xi Jinping is not going. And uh, Vladimir Putin, obviously, uh, is not going. Uh, it would be, so he, he, so he, legally, there could be a pathway for him going to New York uh, despite the, the ICC arrest warrant, uh, since the United States is not uh, a member of the International Criminal Court and thus does not have the legal obligation to arrest Putin under the ICC. Uh, what we, ha we have been seeing, and this was Lula's uh, point of view too in the speech, is that multilateral institutions such as the United Nations and the World Trade Organization have lost relevance over the last 10, 15, 20 years. And this has led countries to seek bilateral agreements or regional agreements uh, with uh, given partners rather than pursuing rules for everyone. And it is a point of Brazil's uh, foreign policy uh, for a very long time now to always pursue multilateral solutions. Uh, Brazil, under either left-wing or right-wing governments, has always pursued a multilateral solution and has always preferred uh, roles that will go for for everyone. And uh, it is true that uh, one of the things that Lula wants to address is the fact that nowadays uh, bodies such as the UN General Assembly and the World Trade Organization uh, are losing relevance uh, because the member states uh, uh, so desire, because the member states are behaving that way. Now, back to Lula's speech, he got quite a big round of applause for repeating his Brazil is back catchphrase. But what does that mean? What's the context? What is Brazil back to and where was it in recent years? So Brazil is back is a reference to um, Lula um, winning the election uh, against uh, Jair Bolsonaro, his predecessor. And during Jair Bolsonaro, uh, he had a foreign minister named Ernesto Araújo, 
uh, who actually said in a speech, in a microphone, uh, to new diplomats, that it would be okay for Brazil to become an international pariah as long as Brazil stood by certain principles, uh, which are principles in a far-right agenda riddled with conspiracy theories. And Brazil mostly left um, the, the multilateral um, institutions, except when they concern very specific agendas. So under the during a, a, a long part of Jair Bolsonaro's term, it coincided with Donald Trump's term in the United States. And so during that time, Donald Trump and Jair Bolsonaro and, and, other, and other conservative countries, including countries with Muslim majorities, uh, they draft something called the Geneva Consensus, which is not a consensus at all, but it was a declaration against abortion rights. And so this was the only kind of initiative or multilateral initiative that Brazil uh, actually joined. Um, under Jair Bolsonaro, Brazil refrained and withdrew from hosting the United Nations Climate Conference, which was supposed to be hosted in Brazil during Jair Bolsonaro's term, but this did, this did not happen. Uh, and in the end, long story short, the, the conference was held in Madrid, in Spain. And so when Lula says that Brazil is back, Brazil is back to discussions on climate change. Brazil is back to discussions on, on human rights. Brazil is back um, to trying to reactivate either the World Trade Organization or multilateral agreements uh, as a whole. And, and this is what Lula is referring to, that Brazil is back to uh, talking with uh, other countries. And there's been some suggestion that Lula is trying to position himself as the leader of the so-called Global South. And if there's anyone that could compete with Lula for that title, it would have to be Narendra Modi from India. And he didn't turn up in New York this week. How do you see that Brazil-India competition? And, you know, is it even a competition? I don't see it as a competition because I think that Brazil and India are not playing the same game. Uh, for instance, Brazil is much more partisan and much closer to Russia and China as opposed to India, uh, which uh, has not voted uh, in favor of the resolution condemning the Russia-Ukraine war, unlike Brazil. But India uh, has not made talking points uh, which are so close uh, to Russia and China. For instance, uh, recently in Brazil's House of Representatives, uh, there was uh, a, a staffer in Celso Amorim's team, Celso Amorim, former foreign minister and currently Lula's top foreign policy advisor. So one of her staffers told the House um, there was a meeting with uh, U.S. House lawmakers, including U.S. Congresswoman uh, Alexandra Ocasio-Cortez. And this Brazilian staffer told the U.S. lawmakers when you hit at China, you strike at Brazil. Uh, when she said you, she meant the U.S. So she was telling U.S. lawmakers that when the U.S. hits at China, it also strikes Brazil. So this, this was obviously a choice from Amorim's uh, position and from Lula's position to heavily align themselves uh, with uh, Russian and Chinese uh, foreign policy and with their understanding of the reform of global governance uh, via the BRICS and so on and so forth, and, and trying to uh, in, make arrangements for to be more trade without the need for the U.S. dollar. And there's a reform of the international financial architecture and so on. Uh, and Brazil has not really profited a lot from its quote-unquote neutrality 
on the Ukraine war. But if you read, if we, if we talk about India, there's a, a really interesting a story the New York Times published in June this year, which is called How India Profits from Its Neutrality in the Ukraine War. So what India is currently doing is India is making a lot of money uh, uh, picking up Russian oil, which is under sanctions by Europe and the United States. And they refine this oil in India, and then they sell it back uh, with great profit uh, after this oil is converted in other products, such as fuel and so on. Uh, this has not happened in Brazil. Uh, so I, I understand that India is really um, having an, an, a more neutral position where it stands to profit by playing both sides, where Brazil is not playing that game. Brazil uh, is much more closely aligned with Russia and China and much more committed to this uh, priority for the so-called global south, which I see that India is not pursuing. And you mentioned the Ukraine war there. I mean, that was always going to be one of the Assembly's big talking points, not least because the Ukrainian president, Vladimir Zelensky, is actually in NYC and he spoke on Tuesday afternoon. And Lola's got a one-on-one -on -one meeting with Zelensky on Wednesday. So if you could explain the significance of that meeting and tell us what they're likely to talk about. Well, the significance of that meeting, uh, it will just show, it will be used by both men to show that the other has not changed your mind. Uh, Lula is going to portray Zelensky as the uh, the guy that's uh, strong-headed, does not want to negotiate, uh, does not want to sit on the table with Russia. And Zelensky is using the meeting to portray that Lula is, does not condemn Russia and is not concerned uh, with Ukraine's territorial integrity. Uh, Lula and Zelensky already had a video conversation back in March. And they came out with very different public summaries of what was discussed, as I've shown in the Brazilian report. And I believe that this meeting is going to be the same. Um, in last year, when Jair Bolsonaro was president, uh, Zelensky also had a phone call with Bolsonaro. Bolsonaro was very silent and secretive about the phone calls, which is a very uh, typical of Bolsonaro in, in these meetings. But later, Zelensky broke the silence and Zelensky told the Brazilian television station what the meeting was about. And Zelensky said during the phone call, he asked Bolsonaro for Brazil to support Ukraine, which did not happen. And with Lula, it's not going to happen either. But both men are going to use the meeting to uh, point fingers at one another later and say, you see, this guy just did not change his mind. And Lula's got a few other bilateral meetings on the schedule, right? I mean, he's meeting Joe Biden and Zelensky on the same day. Yeah, so uh, Lula and US President Joe Biden are going to launch a global initiative for so-called decent work. Uh, we are not still sure of what exactly this is going to be about, uh, but they're probably going to support uh, the International Labor Organization and talk about uh, labor. Um, Joe Biden is uh, much to the left of uh, his predecessor, Barack Obama, in terms of economic policy, in terms of his support for trade unions. And Lula, of course, is a former trade union leader uh, himself. There was a hint of what could possibly be discussed uh, by Lula. I'm, this will, uh, I'm not sure if it's going to be on the language of the agreement, uh, because, of course, the U.S. position uh, is much different. But on his speech to the UN General Assembly, uh, Lula said that platforms and apps uh, cannot abolish the labor laws we fought so hard for. So what uh, Lula at least is calling for 
is for uh, the rules of, of, of labor uh, to still be respected even under the, the, the so-called uh, disruptive uh, platforms such as Uber and other uh, apps. It's quite a big Brazilian government delegation in New York. Are there any highlights from the sidelines in terms of important cabinet ministers to keep an eye on? Well, yes. Uh, so this Monday, Finance Minister Fernando Haddad, who is in New York, he met with John Kerry, which is the Biden's administration uh, climate special envoy. Uh, Fernando Haddad was with Environment Minister Marina Silva. And what they're trying to attract is they're trying to sell uh, so-called sustainable development opportunities and um, opportunities of financing environmental protection. So the Brazilian government is going to sell uh, in the international financial market um, uh, papers uh, of foreign debt with uh, so-called um, green debt or green titles. Uh, they, their aim is to get up to $2 billion by selling this uh, so-called um, green debt or green credit. Um, I, I think this, this is a key important initiative of trying to attract international financing for uh, climate change initiatives uh, in Brazil. Also, the delegation that was watching Lula's speech at the General Assembly this Tuesday included House Speaker Arthur Lira and Senate President Rodrigo Pacheco, uh, which is at least a sign they are enjoying uh, some vacation in New York. And Sede, the next stop for the Lola World Tour is going to be COP28 in Dubai. So what, if anything, can we glean from his speech this week that might indicate his strategy for that November climate change conference? Lola is trying a, a two-pronged approach where uh, he wants um, credit and he wants investment and he wants more money from developed countries uh, for uh, the combat against climate change. And he is um, struggling for developed countries to pay up uh, their goal under the 2015 Paris Agreement, which was for developed countries to finance developing countries uh, with uh, $100 billion annually, uh, which has not been met. And Lula is going to keep uh, hitting on this uh, key, as, as we say in Brazil. And he's also um, using the fact that Brazil has... Uh, over the first semester of his administration has dramatically reduced deforestation in the Amazon uh, to indicate that uh, the Brazil is doing its part, that Brazil has reduced deforestation in the Amazon, that Brazil has the tools to do so, and as such, Brazil deserves more credit um, and, and more money from the developed countries uh, to keep uh, its fight against deforestation and, and its fight against climate change. Uh, on the other approach, however, uh, what Lula is not mentioning is that when he held the Amazonian summit a few months ago, uh, Lula did not commit to not exploring oil uh, offshore near the Amazon coast in the so-called equatorial margin, despite the calls of President Gustavo Petro of Colombia, which is also an Amazonian country, to do so. Also, this conference is being held uh, in Dubai in the Arab Emirates, which have just joined the BRICS. So there's a lot of greenwashing, in my understanding, in that you have this oil-producing countries, including the United Arab Emirates, which is hosting the COP, and joining the BRICS next year, 
and Brazil, which is also an oil-producing country and does not uh, have plans to refrain from new oil uh, production offshore in the Amazon, and is trying to speak with a loud voice about uh, climate change. So it's shifting completely the, the blame on developed countries. They need to pay up. Uh, but Brazil does not need to do its part in terms of new oil projects because in Lula's understanding, at least we are reducing deforestation in the Amazon. And if you can just touch on this a little bit more before we wrap up, Sede, I mentioned at the start that you know we cover the General Assembly every year and 2023 made quite a difference from the previous editions, right? I mean, you've talked in this episode about multilateralism under the last government, but you know, tell us a bit about Jair Bolsonaro's outings at the General Assembly and the distance that Lula is trying to put between himself and his predecessor. Doing at least part of his job, he's just performing his job as, as president uh, in the General Assembly, in his, that he's addressing mostly a foreign audience and he's speaking about international things. Uh, that the, the people that are listening, the leaders and delegations that are listening, uh, do have a stake on. Whereas Bolsonaro used his speeches at the General Assembly a lot for domestic impact. So it was a lot about how in his country, uh, people were not obliged to take the vaccine and how in his country, uh, he had done this and this thing. And there, there was a lot of, uh, electoral, uh, I would not say, I would not say undertone. There was a lot of a very strong electoral tone in that Bolsonaro used his speeches at the General Assembly to talk about his government's supposed accomplishments, where Lula, at least this year, uh, is really addressing a foreign audience by speaking things that are re- relevant to a foreign audience and which Brazilians domestically really have no interest. Uh, for example, when Lula mentioned Julian Assange, the WikiLeaks co-founder, or when Lula mentions that uh, Brazil is supportive of Cuba and against the embargo in Cuba, uh, most Brazilians really do not care about these topics. But Lula is in New York addressing a foreign audience, so he's really doing that job where Bolsonaro really didn't care. Thanks, today. Excellent stuff as always, and looking forward to having you on again soon. Uh, thank you very much, Ion. See you next time. If you like Explaining Brazil, please give us a five-star rating wherever you get your podcasts. It only takes a second and it will help us reach a wider audience. Or better yet, subscribe to The Brazilian Report, the journalistic engine behind this podcast. We have a subscription-based business model and your memberships fuel our journalism and keep us going and growing. Thanks to our subscribers, we've been able to cover Brazil and Latin America extensively and our work has won and been shortlisted for several international journalism awards. More recently, our newsletters won the best newsletter prize in the Americas from the World Association of Newspapers and News Publishers for a small or local newsroom. And in order to keep doing that work, we need your support. So go to brazilian.report slash subscribe. I'm Ewan Marshall. Thanks for listening. And Explaining Brazil will be back next week. Explaining Brazil.